Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 10. We'll seek to finish the chapter today. Since the Supreme Court uh, returned the abortion battle to the states, the battle has certainly raged fiercely. Last week, Kansas, in Kansas, that state voted down a constitutional amendment that would have outlawed abortion. In our own states, our governor has continually found judges who will stay the enforcement of the state law that outlaws abortion. And each day, the news carries stories of shootings and murders and struggle. It often feels as though our world is falling apart. And in an attempt to fix the issues that we see, many turn to a variety of methods in order to right the wrongs. Some turn to politics, believing that if we elect the right politicians, they'll change the world. Some turn to family, believing that if we can keep our families safe, that's all that really matters. Some turn to activism, believing that strong statements will change the world. And all these certainly are good things. Unfortunately, none of them will ultimately succeed because they're not the most important response. We observed in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that the answer To all evil is the gospel. The gospel is always the answer because only the gospel is the power of God to change lives. Yet we often abandon this avenue because we don't believe that it actually works. Today we'll look at a text in in Romans 10 which reminds us That the gospel does indeed work. But it's up to God to make it work. And when we recognize this reality, it should free us in our gospel witness. Let's look at our text this morning. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 14 and going down through the end of the chapter. Paul writes, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask... Have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Last week, we ended with the glorious promise that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. What an incredible promise that this statement raises an important issue. The issue of our gospel witness. We struggle intensely 
with sharing the gospel. Sometimes, many times, perhaps we don't share the gospel because we feel inadequate. Sometimes we don't share the gospel out of fear. Sometimes we don't share the gospel because we don't prioritize it. So often we turn to, to lifestyle evangelism. The idea that if we just live a right life in front of people, we can win them to Christ without actually ever saying anything. Yet as we'll see today, this misses the essence and the power of the gospel. And it robs our life of blessing. And so in this text, we observe first that we have a responsibility to share the gospel. Verses 14 and 15 ask a series of questions. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news? Through a series of questions, Paul reveals to us our vital role in God's plan for gospel transformation. He asks first, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? He insinuates man must believe in order to call on God. Again, this idea of calling on God is the idea of calling on him for aid, surrendering your life to him. How can they do that if they don't believe, have personal trust and reliance in him? No one will call upon God as their Lord until they first come to trust and rely on him. Yet, as we've seen throughout scripture, this faith is infused in us by God. But the method God uses to infuse this faith in us is the gospel. Man must believe in order to call on God. But we see, secondly, that man must hear the gospel in order to believe. He asks, how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? The word heard is the idea of hearing with the ears. It's not just a lifestyle thing they observe, but actual words they hear. We're reminded that people cannot be saved simply by responding positively to natural revelation. We saw this in Romans 1 verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown to the, it to them his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature. Having been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and things that have been made so they're without excuse. And his point is this nature reveals God, but man rejects it. They need to hear the gospel. Those who call on the Lord must believe in him, but this belief is not possible apart from hearing the message which someone speaks to them. But we see, third, that the gospel must be proclaimed in order for man to hear the gospel. He says, how are they to hear without someone preaching? Word preaching is the idea of heralding or proclaiming. And, and don't confuse this statement to be one which limits the proclaiming of the gospel to the office of a pastor. This word is not simply speaking about a formal sermon. Rather, this word is a word which means verbal proclamation. 
It's the idea of sharing the gospel. What Paul is stating is that God uses people to proclaim the gospel. In other words, they will not believe Christ until they have heard him speaking through his people. Finally, we see that God has sent us to proclaim the gospel. He says, and how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This idea of being sent is, is commissioned with the authority of the one sent. And it was a, an idea well known in the first century. In fact, it goes even prior to that. In the 5th century B.C., when the Greeks were at war with the Persians, there were three historic wars that took place. And in the battle, what's known as the Battle of the Plain, called that because it occurred on the Marathon Plain, a man named uh, Pheidippides was commissioned as a runner. And he took the messages from the battlefield back to the city of Athens. And he would run the entire distance, 26 miles. That's why we call races of that length marathons. Pheidippides ran all the way from the plain, 26 miles to the city of Athens to bring the good news, the gospel, that the Greek victory had taken place. And yet we are told that even greater is the one who preaches the good news of the gospel of Christ. Here Paul quotes Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. In Isaiah 52, the prophet was speaking of the messengers that brought the news of Israel's imminent release from the Babylonian captivity. And Paul, in turn, applies this to those who bear the good news of the gospel. If those who proclaimed the good news of the release from Babylon were gloried in, were said were beautiful, how much greater, more welcome, are those who herald the good news of the gospel of Christ. We can see the essence of Paul's argument if we really, we put these three phrases in reverse. Christ sends the heralds, heralds preach, people hear, hearers believe, believers call, and those who are called are saved. Now perhaps at this point you see a way out. You've not been sent to preach. You say, I'm not sent. That's your job. You're not ordained or licensed to the ministry. You don't have some formal sending agency. And so you don't have to share the gospel. But I remind you that all of us have been sent by Christ. John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so... I am sending you. Reminded just before Christ ascended into heaven, his words to all of us in Matthew 28. Go therefore 
And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God has sent each and every one of us to share the gospel. You have been authorized. You have been commanded to share the gospel. But you ought not share the gospel simply from a sense of duty. Perhaps it's one of those things where you think, oh, I I guess I have to do this because God told me I have to. And if that's the attitude we have, we have missed the news of the gospel. You have one of the greatest privileges in the world. The privilege to be God's tool to change lives. God could have shared the message of the gospel by spelling it out in the clouds for all to see. He could have sent a giant TV screen from heaven for all to see the gospel. But he chose a different way. He chooses to use you. What an incredible privilege that you get to be the means by which God shares the most amazing news in the world. That should be our motivation. This amazing privilege, this unspeakable privilege of participating in his majestic program of redemption. We think of Isaiah. In Isaiah 6, he sees this vision of God and the work that he is doing in the world. And he hears the Trinity ask among themselves, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Isaiah recognized the privilege that it is. And his response in Isaiah 6, 8 is, Here am I. Send me. When we begin to understand the gospel, We recognize that we would be foolish to do anything else but share it. It ought to be the driving point of our life. Read the story this last week of a pastor named John Harper. He was aboard the Titanic as it made its way across the Atlantic Ocean from London to New York. At the time of the disaster, Harper was 39, a widower with a six-year-old daughter, a pastor of Woolworth Road Baptist Church in London. He was traveling to New York and ultimately to Chicago with his daughter and his niece to preach for several weeks at Moody Church, where he'd been a guest minister the previous fall. And when the ship In an iceberg on the night of April 14th, 1912, the ship sunk with many on board. His daughter and his niece were put on a a lifeboat and survived, but Harper stayed behind. Preaching the gospel, it's told, sharing it with everyone he met on the deck. Their death was imminent, and he was asking them, are you ready to die? He shared with them the news of Christ. And ultimately, he jumped into the water as the ship began to sink. Some who survived told that Harper would swim from driftwood to driftwood, preaching the gospel to the people hanging on to the wood, sharing with them how to be ready to die. Then he'd swim to the next person and the next person, till ultimately with the last person he swam 
out never to be seen again. He recognized, even in death, the privilege he had to be the conduit to usher these souls into the kingdom of God. The question is, do you? One unmistakable challenge to sharing the gospel is the fear regarding the response of the person who hears. We feel inadequate to act, act adequately, effectively argue for the gospel. We fear, well, what if they bring an argument that I can't answer? What, what if I can't answer their objections? I, I'm not smart. I'm, I'm not a great arguer. I don't even really know how I would say anything to them. We feel we don't possess the tools to convince someone of the gospel. Well, while the first section reveals that we have a responsibility to share the gospel, the second section is incredibly freeing because it reveals that God is responsible for the response to the gospel, not us. You cannot manipulate anyone into heaven. No one comes to heaven because the person who shared the gospel was incredibly eloquent or amazingly great in their argumentations. As we saw in Romans 9, God draws his people to salvation. So as we share the gospel, we can know with confidence we will see one of two responses. And both are okay for us. Response number one is that some will reject the gospel. We see this throughout this section beginning in verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have, for their voice has gone out to the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. He begins right after saying that they cannot hear unless they preach and they can't preach unless they're sent. And the one who sent his feet are beautiful. We glory in that. But then he notes they've not all obeyed the gospel. Not everyone who hears listens and gives credence to the gospel. Not everyone will respond. It's interesting. He just quoted Isaiah 52. The one coming with the news of Israel's release. The one sharing the good news. It's glorious. And immediately he turns to the very next chapter. He says, Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? He's quoting from Isaiah 53. Not everyone who hears the message believes. God has sent his people to proclaim the gospel, but not everyone will respond, but it's up to God. That's God's responsibility, not your responsibility. All effective witness is accomplished by God. 
The Christian is just the instrument God uses to share the gospel. He's the instrument God uses to, for the Holy Spirit to begin that process of drawing them to himself. When people don't listen, that shouldn't change our message. This is why in verse 17, he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Often as believers share the message of Christ, people reject it. And so we think the problem is with the message or the method. So we need to change it. The saving proclamation of the gospel always involves the proclamation of Jesus as Lord who died for our sins and was raised from the dead. R.C. Sproul notes that the language of evangelism in our day is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. What does that promise? What, what if that promise had been made to Judas? God loves you, Judas, and has a wonderful plan for your life. Your destiny is in eternity in hell. That plan was not wonderful. You see that message God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life is not the gospel. The gospel is you are evil, destined for eternal wrath. But God loves you and sent his son for you. So surrender to him as your Lord. The purpose of evangelism is not to use human persuasion or clever devices to manipulate people into the gospel to say words of faith, but rather to faithfully proclaim the gospel of Christ through which the Holy Spirit will bring salvation. Many change the message. Many change the method. We try to remove things we view as impediments to the gospel. You know, if we don't make it exciting, they won't listen. If we don't make it kitschy, they won't know. The preaching is old. Telling people they're bad. They don't like to hear that, so we need to stop doing it. But we miss the truth that faith comes by hearing, and hearing only comes through the word of Christ. And the word of Christ is that message of the gospel we have seen through the first half of Romans. You are evil, and God alone saves. It's not popular. Some will reject it. The gospel was preached to the Jews. We share the gospel with others through God's power. The question then must be raised. Why then don't they believe? Why don't they listen? And in answer to this question, Paul raises and rejects two possibilities and finally gives the right answer. He tells us first, it's not because they didn't hear. He says, verse 18, but I ask, have they not heard? Did those who die in their sin, did they not have the opportunity to hear? The answer is, of course they did. The response, he says, is indeed they have. Their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. And this response is based on Psalm 19. It affirmed 
that the heavens declare the glory of God to, who, to all who are on the earth. Now, God is not stating that general revelation is enough to bring a person into a relationship with Him, but it does inform us that if God wants the general revelation of His glory to be universal, how much more does He want the specific revelation of His grace to be universal? Everyone has an opportunity to hear the gospel. They reject God's natural revelation. And so they will reject his special revelation. If they will respond to God, he'll send a believer to share the gospel. Well, then maybe they don't respond to the gospel, not because they haven't heard it, but because they don't understand it. It's hard. Well, verse 19, he says, but I ask, did Israel not understand? Again, the answer is, of course they did. He quotes Moses first. First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation with a foolish nation. I will make you angry. The word foolish is the word senseless or not understanding. He's quoting Deuteronomy 32. And that verse is part of Moses' song to Israel in which he rehearses the history of God's gracious acts on Israel's behalf and Israel's stubbornness, refusal to believe those acts. And this song was written as a prophecy depicting what would happen to Israel if they rejected God. Obey God and I'll bless you. If you reject me, I will curse you. And in it, he tells them, you won't believe. You will reject. And when you do, I'm going to take another nation. I'm going to take people who aren't seeking me and I'm going to make them my people. And the point is this. They had the word of God from the beginning. They knew the word of God. They understood the word of God. But they didn't believe. Not because they didn't understand. He goes on to quote Isaiah 65. He says in verse 20, Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. He's quoting Isaiah 65 verse 1. So since... Israel's rejection of the gospel cannot be attributed either to her not hearing it or not understanding it. Since others' rejection of the gospel can't be because they didn't hear it or because they don't understand it, they must be without excuse. That's the third possible explanation. It's the one Paul says is the right one. People reject the gospel because they're stubborn in their sin. Verse 21. But he says of Israel, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Here he quotes Isaiah 65 verse 2. Israel's situation is the result not simply of a passive unbelief. They just didn't care. But of a culpable refusal to respond to God's gracious acts on their behalf. 
Israel's rejection had nothing to do with a failure to hear or a failure to understand or an opportunity. It rested solely on their own willful disobedience. So why today do people reject the gospel? It's not because they've not heard or don't understand. We don't have to dress up the gospel or dumb it down so people will listen or so that people will understand. Too often I hear of the word of God. It's just too hard. We need it simple. We want that kiss method, right? Keep it simple, stupid. But the problem isn't that it's hard. We don't need to dumb it down. We don't need to change the message. There's a trend today to alter the gospel, to make it more palatable. To make it seeker sensitive. We need to do a poll to find out what the, what the community wants. What they need to hear. We need to give them positive messages of reinforcements. I call it the church of Oprah. That's what we need to do. Then they'll come. Now the problem with this pragmatism is it works. It fills the church. But it fills the church with unbelievers who are going to hell. Because faith only comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. You see, this misses the reason why people reject the gospel. People don't reject the gospel because they don't understand it, but because they do. They understand that the gospel says you are evil and they don't like that. They understand the gospel says you can't earn salvation. And they don't like that. They don't reject the gospel because they don't understand it. They reject the gospel because they do understand it. They refuse to accept that they are totally evil and cannot help themselves. One commentator says this. Perhaps one reason is that they find it hard to see in a man who was hanged the master clue to the riddle of the world. We can't alter the message of the gospel. Because the response to the gospel is God's responsibility, not our responsibility. We might say, well, if I share that, they won't listen and they won't accept. That's not your problem. That's not your fault. The responsibility is up to God. But this also means that while some will reject the gospel, some will accept the gospel. Right in the middle of this statement that seems a little bit depressing. People aren't going to listen. If you're like Jeremiah, go preach your entire life. By the way, they're going to hate you. They won't listen to you and you have zero converts. Yay me. But right in the middle, God gives a promise. Verses 19 and 20. But I ask, did not Israel understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. In the middle of this text, addressing the Jews' failure to accept their Messiah is glorious news. Some who were not Jews would accept. There'd be these people who were not his people that he would make his people. God saves people. 
And God's gracious work will bring some into the kingdom of God. Here's the thing. We don't know who that is. So, we share with everyone. Some reject, we leave that up to God. But some won't. And for them, we have the glorious privilege of being God's conduit of grace to their life. And someday, as we stand in heaven, and as they come through those gates, they'll look at you and they'll say, I'm here because of you. What a privilege. And yet too often we move it aside because we're scared of how others will think. Or we don't prioritize it. We think other things are more important. Or we think other things simply work better. If only we were as passionate about the gospel as we are about our political proclivities. Many of us have no problem sharing with our neighbors and our friends, our co-workers and our families, what we think of things that happen in Washington or Lansing. But we don't dare speak a word of the gracious news of God that will transform their life. That's incredibly sad. But I think often the case is we don't value the gospel. And we don't recognize that it is God who does the work. So we feel inadequate. But it's not up to you. You see, success in sharing the gospel is sharing the gospel. If you share the gospel and the person does not respond and rejects Christ, you were successful. If you share the gospel and the person responds and accepts Christ, you were equally as successful. Because you are not responsible for the response. God is. And God's way better at it than we are. God's way smarter than we are. God is way more persuasive than we are. So, so we share with freedom. We're not dissuaded by rejection. We recognize that the world is broken. Right? We, we, we see, we feel, we're frustrated by the sin and the immorality around us. We feel it. We, we understand it. Yet in an effort to change things, we turn to the wrong methods. We expect politics to change the world. But history has revealed that's not very smart. Over and over, it can't. We try and make the church more palatable by attempting to give seekers what they want. So we turn the church into an entertainment hall with glorified concerts and motivational speeches. We miss the reality that Romans 3 tells us there are none that seek after God. So if we're giving them what they are seeking, we're not giving them God. God's the one who calls people to himself. 
And as a result, he reminds us that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we must be people of the word. We must be gospel people. Your family member, your neighbor, your friend, your coworker will only come to God through the word of Christ. And they cannot come to that if no one tells them. And God has commissioned you to tell them. It should not cause us to do it simply out of a sense of duty, but out of a glorious realization that we can be God's tool for change in their life and ultimately the world. We don't fear rejection because it's been promised. Success in sharing the gospel is not the response to the gospel. Success in sharing the gospel is sharing the gospel. So share the gospel without fear. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. But the power is not in you, but in God's message. So share it. Let's conclude with four so what's today. One, recognize the sinful plight of those around you who are headed to hell. You need to see them as souls made in the image of God destined for eternal wrath. Too often, we get angry at the sin of those around us. We get angry when our family members sin when our neighbors sin, when our coworkers sin, when our politicians sin and make stupid decisions, we respond with anger. But this is a failure to see them as people in the image of God under the bondage of Satan. We need to recognize the sinful plight of those around us, that they are headed to hell. Secondly, we need to recognize that the undiluted gospel is the only message that can change the world. Undiluted. It is powerful. It is hurtful. But it is a faithful wound of a friend. For it brings healing. The reality is it is only the undiluted gospel that will change the world. Your favorite politician cannot change the world. Your favorite teacher cannot change the world. You can't change the world. Only the gospel can do it. So share the undiluted gospel. Number three, recognize the intense privilege that you have to be God's tool for change. God doesn't call the smartest and the wisest. He doesn't call the most amazing. God loves to use simple people. Consider the 12 apostles. Uneducated. Blue collar. Many were simply fishermen. People that no one would have chosen. They had... Severe personality issues. 
People like Peter, whose motto was speak, then think. People like Matthew, who sided with Rome over the Jews. People like John and James, whose nickname was based on their intense temper. God used them. We think of the 12 tribes of Israel founded by the 12 sons of Jacob. You read through Genesis in their story. Soap operas have nothing on them. God loves to use you. You say, I'm not smart. I'm not special. I don't have amazing eloquence. I'm not the best debater. I feel incredibly inadequate. That's exactly what God loves to use. Realize that intense privilege that you have to be that person. God is going to use you. And then finally, leave the results up to God. That's what's so freeing about it. How they respond, it's not up to you. So you don't have to worry about it. God's not going to hold you responsible for how they respond. Because it's not up to you. So you can do it without fear. If they reject the gospel, that's between them and God. And it's okay. I believe firmly God is about to do something amazing through this church. Felt this way right before COVID. Then COVID hit and put a break on everything. But we've seen God working over the last few months in ways that can only be attributed to him. Little sprouts here and there. I believe God's about to do something amazing, but it will only happen if you and I decide we want to be God's tools and are willing to share the gospel. It's time for us to reach out and to see growth happen through new people entering the kingdom of God. I want to ask you, will you join me in it? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of being your child, of being a citizen of the kingdom of God, having our sins forgiven, and Lord, of being the tool that you will use to continue to advance the gospel. Lord, why you chose to use people like us who are inadequate doesn't make a lot of sense. But it is your glorious plan which means it is the best one. And so we are so grateful that you have chosen us to be a part of it. So help us to do it. Relieve us of our fear. Give us gospel boldness to change the world. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.